gambling, sex, drugs. These are a few addictions that people struggle with on a daily basis. On today's episode of Let's Talk with Tracy, you'll be hearing from a young female and an older male on their addictions and how they bounced back. Enjoy. Last night took a L, but tonight I bounce back. Wake up every morning, by the night I count stacks. Knew that ass was real when I hit it, bounce back. You ain't getting checks. Last night took a L, but tonight I bounce back. Boy, I've been broke as hell, catch the check and bounce back. D Town LAX, every week I bounce back. If you a real one, then you know how to bounce back. Don't know nobody. Welcome to Let's Talk with Tracy, the podcast. I have with me my co-host, Dana. Hello, everybody. And today we have Mercedes. Hello. And Tony. Hello. Well, um, quite sure we all have family members or have friends that had certain problems, whether it be drugs, gambling, sex, and they are addicted to it and they want to change or either they can't change or they haven't been motivated to change, this story that you're about to hear should shed some light on that. So we have here Mercedes and Tony. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mercedes. Okay, so I'm Mercedes. I'm 25 years old. I was born and raised in Athens, Georgia, and I had a good family growing up, like really went to church all the time my grandma kept me in church it was very well provided for not really a struggle there was some struggles in my family there they went through their own addiction and that led me to calls that i felt abandoned and alone for a long time and i was exposed to i'm not going to say exposed but i lost out in the streets at 14 just doing what i wanted to do and at 14 i started working at the time it was a skate around usa And I started working out there, and by the age of 15, I was already smoking weed. And by the age of 16, I was on Molly and Adderall, and any uppers tripping on acid by them. By the age of seven... Hold on, on, stop right there. Now, you say you have some close family members. How close is close? Cousins, sisters, brothers, mom, dad? Mom and dad. Mom and dad, yeah, that's really close. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what is Molly? Molly is an, it is a drug that is is similar to meth. It is a stimulant that makes you feel different. Some people use it as a gateway drug to have sex. Some people use it as a drug just to give them more energy. Honestly, it was just from one of the, it was from a plug. I got you. I'm not trying to, for you to reveal (laughs) anything, but it's just kind of strange someone that young can get a hold to the drug. Mm-hmm. It's very open. There are a lot of people out here because at one point in my life, I was a drug dealer too. So at one point in my life, I didn't care who I was drugging to. I didn't care if you were, I didn't care if you were 14. I didn't care if you were 15. I didn't care if you were 10. I didn't care if you were pregnant. And that's just how it was as long as you was giving me my money and my neck, my money to get my high and what I needed in life. It, it didn't matter if you got the money. I want it no matter how old. It was a heartless move. You were selling drugs to support your habit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of strange because people that sell drugs, they sell drugs for the money, but you didn't sell it for the, well, you sold it for the money, but for the money to get your habit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
and you are 25 now. Yes. And you started at 14. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you was in Athens at this time? Mm-hmm. Madison County, Athens area. Okay. Tony, give us a little background about you. I was actually really blessed when I was younger. I actually participated in sports was my, my way out. Had an opportunity to have scholarship in three sports, but I chose basketball. God bless me when I played at Georgia State University on a basketball scholarship. I had a chance to leave and attend some big major universities, but at the time, things weren't good at home, so I stayed close to home. And around the age of 17, really 16, I started experimenting with weed and Staying home probably was a big mistake because I had familiar grounds. And even though I was, uh, as they would say, BMC big man on campus, I had my outlet to resources that were very close by. And then it just, I could get my hand on anything I wanted at any time. And so I lost focus uh, because I had opportunities. I could have played on the next level of the NBA, but I wasn't focused. I played well enough to do well on the college scene. I didn't excel as I could have because I just had too many distractions. Now, how old were you when you started? 16. And you started smoking weed at 16. Right, so what happened was I had a knee injury during my junior year. And when I had that knee injury, it seemed like my desire to really be an elite athlete dropped. So my senior year was a decent year, and I had some NBA scout teams courting me, but I didn't get drafted. And I met somebody by the name of Reggie. And uh, at that time, they were... Uh, they were being courted by the Atlanta Hawks. And so you run around people that are familiar with your background or that you're similar to. That's just how it goes in anything. So Reggie and I, even though we were both good athletes, we had a, a liking and a bond with drugs. So one night Reggie came to my house and he had a medicine bag. And so, at the time, you know, I was staying with my girlfriend at the time, who I ended up marrying and having children about, they bed. And we was at the house, and this Reggie comes in, and he pulls out the medicine bags. He said, I'm going to use your kitchen. Me not knowing anything about what's happening, I'm like, go ahead. So about 10 minutes later, he said, come here, Tony. So when I walk in the kitchen, I just see this big cow of smoke. And so, next thing I know, I tried it, and I knew the first time I tried it, I was in trouble. What was it that you tried? I tried smoking dope, cocaine. Cocaine. And so when I smoked it, it was 37 degrees outside, and it was during November, and it was cold that night. And I was sitting on the patio and I was sweating bullets. I knew I was in trouble. The first time I touched it, it was immediate love and craving. 
Wow. So I chased that, I chased that ghost for about 20 some years. And the one thing about that ghost, I could never get that high I got the very first time. And so it, it cost me my marriage. It cost me Take your time. It cost a lot. It cost my relationship with my children. I lost my dignity. I lost my self-respect. Okay, let's, let's, let's back up. You went fast forward. You was a high school athlete. A three-sport athlete in high school. You went to college for basketball. So you were a basketball athlete, big man on campus. So you had everything going for you. You had, as you can say, you had everything at your fingertips. You can get your hands on anything you want to get your hands on because of your athleticism, correct? Well, not only athleticism, but also you, 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 you gain a popularity with people, not only at the university, but within the community because I was always in the papers newspapers. I was always being highlighted as an athlete who did well. Academically, I did well. So I was socially well with people. I mingled with the blacks, the whites. I knew how to play both sides of the fence. But once I left the university, I would enter my secret closet. So a lot of times, people see what they see because they see you when they see you. But they're not with you 24 hours a day. So a lot of times you have an escape when you live a certain life. I was living a double life. I was Tony the athlete and the gentleman and all this on one side. And then when 12 or one o'clock hit, I was on the street and I was hanging out with guys that were not such good people, but yet because of my popularity, they received me and they allowed me to be in their circle and I was able to kind of get what I wanted. So once I got started with the cocaine, it became a problem because I no longer cared about, as time went on, I no longer cared about living life from eight in the morning to 12 at night. I cared about doing drugs all day long, wow. getting it the way I needed to get it. So I use my popularity as a source and a way to manipulate people, use people. But in the process, at the end of the day, I use myself. But it takes time to deplete yourself. Because when you first start out, you just think it's recreation. You're just doing something and it's fun. But the addiction will fool you and it will trap you. So when I got too deep in and I lost my wife, and I lost my kids. Well, my addiction had gotten to the point that where I lost my dignity, I became homeless. And then I ended up doing three bids in the Department of Corrections. Okay, I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop you right there. How old are you? I'll be 60 in 28 days. Okay. Mercedes. <laughs> Did your environment 
What made you try the drug? What made you try it from the beginning? From day one, what made you want to try that drug? That's a hard question, honestly. Really, I guess from at a young age, it was more as a partying thing. Because honestly, nothing in my life, regardless of my mom and dad doing what they did, I also had other close family members that about that. Obviously, their names can't go on here, but they always took care of me. So it wasn't like um, there was anything wrong going in my life because I was going to school. I was making straight A's. I was doing the thing. I was in band. I was living the best life you could ever have. And then it was just like, hey, somebody's like, you want to try this? And I'm not one of those people that are like, no, absolutely not. You're crazy. I'm like, yo, why not? And I guess that's what made me try it. Honestly, as far as I can think back, I don't think that there was ever a real reason of why I tried it at the age of 14. Going back that far, like going farther into my addiction, I know what it relied on then, but Going back at 14, it was just, hey, let me party a little bit. It'll be okay. I can party and still go to school drunk. And Can I jump in there? Yes. Ask. So the crossover from 13 to 14, mm-hmm. you're, you're, it was more of a decision at a party, mm-hmm. and the decision was just saying yes. Because mm-hmm. at 13, you, you didn't want it, or 12, or maybe you were not partying in a sense, right. that middle school, high school age. But once it was offered to you, you made the choice mm-hmm. to just so say yes. I had a very sheltered my family. They told us about sex. sex. They told us about weed. They told us what pills could do. They was very a very open mind family to give us an aware of if you have sex without a condom, this is what it's going to look like. My family is very open and blunt and honest. At least my mom is stint to it. So growing up that long and being sheltered for that long, and then you go from there to at the age of fourteen having sex and losing your virginity and being like I'm dating a guy that's 18, 17, 18, so he's already smoking weed and drinking. So that was where I originally got got exposed to it, and it was like, why not? If he's doing it, and this, if he's doing it, and this person's doing it, then why why can't I? So that's could probably stem from that, I would guess, but. Okay. I'm a hard-headed individual, so it's like the option of no is not. It's The option of no is on the table today. But that young, it was like, no, I'm going to go hard. I'm going to go hard in the paint with all y'all. Since you, know? you mentioned the word no, mm-hmm. did you have a hard time saying no, or did you think saying yes was more exciting? When I was younger, it was more like I wanted to be like everyone else. It was like I couldn't find my place where I needed to be. I couldn't figure it out. So saying yes and trying these different things in life, I thought that I could figure it out. Like I would feel wanted and not that my family didn't give me that, but I could feel the wanted that I wanted to feel in figuring out my pathway of life. But now, like, I have a really big heart since <laughs> I've gotten sober. I said some things when I say no, it's a no. Like, there's no going, it's a firm no, absolutely not. 
And then sometimes I'm like, yes, because I can see people where I was at and it's okay, I want to help you. But then that's when healthy boundaries have to come in. So. Have you Thank ever you. been incarcerated? Yes. How many times? Oh, boy. That many? Yes. Been. So my first arrest was in, I was 18. So whatever year that was. I went to jail for criminal trespassing. I got out, went back to the same situation. The man that I was with gave me an alternatum to get beat up or go to jail, turn myself in because I was running on um, misdemeanor probation. So I chose to go to jail. So I went and turned myself in. I guess I was still 18 then. I went and turned myself in, served 60 days to finish that probation out. And then by the age of... Let's see, I want to say by the age of 20, I was in Jackson County Jail for my first possession of meth charge, and it was possession of meth, possession of controlled substance, and then possession of drug-related objects. And then I went, got out of jail then, <clears throat> went to court, ran from probation for nine months, went and did a week, got out, went back and did another week, got out, and then the last go-around, um, I got caught in 20, let's see, this year's 2022, so 2019 would have been three years ago. So in 2019, January the 7th, I had told Miss Harold, or it might have been Miss Norman, I don't even remember which one, honestly, I was hanging out with one of my cousins, and she took me down to her old man's house, and we go down there and there's this black SUV sitting in the yard and I'm like, absolutely not. You gotta be kidding me right now. Like, are you crazy right now? So I was like, just pull up and they left. And when we pulled in the driveway, there they were. I don't know where they came from. And they jumped out on us. And that day I thought I was going to jail for real. I thought I was going to jail that day. Somehow I ended up not going to jail that day, but I did have a meth pipe on me and I had I swallowed some heroin that I had had on me, and I still had two eight balls in both of my boobs, and they never found it. But they did call my probation officer, and she wanted me to come in the next morning, and I told her absolutely not that, you know, I even drank baking soda. The old wise tell, drink baking soda, and you'll pass a drug test. Well, that's not true. You will crap on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Bacon soda can't be used as a great After that, I had called probation, and I had told them, I was like, I'm just going to be real. I told her, I was like, bitch, catch me if you can. And she said, okay, we will. And I hung up the phone, and no more than, I'd say, six months, give or take. I got pulled over in Jackson County, and that time I got caught with possession of methamphetamines intent to distribute, possession of heroin intent to distribute, possession of... So I got caught with possession of heroin intent to distribute, possession of any controlled substance, two, three, and four intent to distribute, purchase of any controlled substance uh, with intent to distribute, possession of marijuana less than an ounce, probation violation, pro drugs not in the original container. So how many charges in all were you the, charged with that day? Um, 11 felonies. 11 felonies. Mm-hmm. That's some serious time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hope nice. you know that thought. Tony, 
you were saying something about you did three bids? Yeah, so what happened was addiction is just addiction is just it's just so tricky because you'll think that you have control for some time and, and you may have some, some control meaning or a good example would be you say I'm only gonna do this amount and I'm done for the night. Or I'm gonna wait until the weekend and I'm gonna do this. And you may start that routine for a, a, a week, a month, a year. And in my case, it didn't catch up with me right away. What 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 caused me to go into a spin was, as I shared earlier, when I started with the cocaine, there was a situation where I had an opportunity to go to some NBA camps and I had the knee injury that I had shared before. Well, right after that, I had a reoccurring knee injury about two months later. So I've always been extremely competitive. That was one of my edges in sports, that I was very competitive. So not only was I gifted and talented, but I was just extremely competitive. And my goal was to always be the best. Second was not an option. So when I didn't get a chance to go to the NBA camps, I said, well, since I can't get my millions playing basketball, I'm gonna get my millions selling drugs. And so I started out selling and did quite well as a, as a, as a drug dealer. But then I became an abuser of my own product. And then it got to the point to where I was getting just enough to keep my supply going and get high. And then as I had shared earlier, it got to the point where I didn't care no more about how I was going to pay the bills or how I was going to do that. I just wanted to get high. So I was just, I was just trapped inside this, this cage within. And anybody who's ever been there know what that's like. A person that has never experienced drugs, you can't identify. But it's a cage that you in, and it's a ferocious cage, and it attacks you in your sleep. It speaks to you when you use the bathroom. It talks to you while you're eating. It even, it, it even marinates with you when you're having sex. It's just, it's an extremely powerful spirit. A, the demon is not one, it's multiple, and they come from everywhere through people, places, and things. So I got to the point where when I didn't care no more, I started committing just crazy acts. Next thing I know, and I'm not proud to share this, I have 13 pictures on mug shots. And if you look at those pictures, you can see clearly every single time when I was incarcerated, something just is not right with this guy. Not when you look at the person who he was before. Facial just grooming. The Bible speaks about the spirit of the, the eyes are the light of the body. You can see in my eyes that there was just torture. You could just see that there was a sense of hopelessness. You could just see that this guy's going through something. So yeah, three times I went back. But on November, the, yeah, I never forget on November the 11th, 2004, I was with Betty. Something happened and I got stopped. And I went on a speed chase and I was so out of it, I had insurance on the car. 
and the car was in my name. But for some reason, my mind wasn't clear, and I just started speeding. Now the cops are chasing me. And I jump out the car, and this car puts a, a gun on me. And one thing led to another, and the next thing I got shot five times in the back with a taser gun. And I never will forget that drive. And the officer was such a mean guy that he rolled the window down while I was in the back. So if you know anything about electronics, when air hits electricity, it brings a reaction to your body. Well, I got these plugs in my back from the taser gun, so I'm like a jumping monkey in the back of the car. And the cop is laughing at me and saying, yeah, you're going to die tonight. And I never will forget, I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you get me through this, I'm done. So life has just been extremely beautiful in a lot of ways. Anybody that's listening, I'll tell you, it's all about free will of choices. You best believe that at the end of the day, nobody fools nobody. You got to answer before God each and every day, period. So if you think you're getting by, it's just a three-letter word called yet. It just haven't gotten you yet. It just hasn't caught up with you yet. But it will catch up with you because that's just the way it works. Okay, let me ask you this. Now, we don't heard the beginning when I heard the middle. Let's hit the end. So the end has been, the end is ongoing because it's a beautiful place to be. Did you change that the last arrest, you, you prayed to God, was that your last time? Your turning no. Point. Yeah, was that your turning point? No. Even after I vowed to God, if you get me out of this, I went back to my old ways but what changed me was my son. There was a song by DMX called Slippin'. And I'll never forget, there was times that my ex-wife would say that my son would be looking out the window, but I didn't show up at that promise him I would be there. But on this day, on this day, I showed up. And so when I showed up, he grabbed me so hard around my leg. <laughs> so I knew. It was, it was over. My struggle was over. It took the touch of that child, but when that child touched me, I felt nothing but God in that child. Everything hasn't been perfect since, but it's been a joy ride, even through the bumps and the bruises. I don't have to resort to the things I used to do yesterday. I tell anybody else that's listening too, People say that you shouldn't talk about politics and religion. But for those that are listening, I will tell you that there is a God. He answers prayer. He see every tear. He knows the things that you don't even talk about.
the Romans, in the, you know, in the good book, it talks about Romans 8 and 28, says that the spirit will intercede and other growings for us, that it goes on our behalf when we don't know what to say. It'll talk to God for us. That's how powerful the spirit is. So there was a lot of times I didn't know what to say. But the spirit was going to tell the Lord, hey, show him some more grace. Give him some more mercy. So I'm very thankful to God because I don't have all the answers. And I don't want to sit here and act like I'm perfect. I still have my struggles from day to day with just life, with just myself. But one thing I know, I'm much better today than I was yesterday. So the story ends. There is no ending. But what happened was there was a transformation. There was a renewing of the mind. And so I'm just thankful for grace and mercy. And I tell anybody, if you listen, we're all responsible for our own choices. That's why God gave us a free will of choice, you see. So you have to be accountable to yourself. But most importantly, you have to take the mask off. And you got to get real with self. See, one thing about me in my life, didn't nobody have to screw it up for me. I was always a self-sabotager. I always got in my own way. And the only thing that God be trying to show us in the process of this life, and I don't care who you are, is just stay out the way. If you stay out the way and just let him lead you and guide you, you'll be fine. It's when we get in the way. And in the way means one to just do things our way and not knowing or accepting that there are consequences for choices, period. So I advise anybody listening to make choices. If you got family that's going through some stuff, don't give up on them. It too shall pass if they live through grace and mercy. You know, people need support. People don't need people to turn their backs on them. I know some situations are very devastating and you say, ah, there's no hope. There's always hope. There's always hope. I agree, always. Mm -hmm. Mercedes, now the last, what we heard from you was the 11 felonies that you caught in Jackson County. You went to jail that day, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Yes, I went to jail. I went to jail and honestly that night, I can remember going into jail and honestly, I had no intentions to change, really. I was going in there. I knew I was going in there looking at prison time. That was my, I knew. I just knew right then I was going to prison. Like, it, it is what it is. That was my mentality then. It is what it is. The, the, ain't nobody better come talk to me because I ain't, I ain't going to tell nobody. And so that's what it was. And when I went back there, county's a big jail. So... You get in there, it's, ain't no leaving. So they booked me in. And I, I was wearing some skimpy clothes that night, and so sweat my first go around in there. And so I was just like, can you just give me my orange jumpsuit? I just want to go to sleep at this point. Just please let me go to sleep. So they did. They told me my bond, and they set my bond right at like 30000 40000 somewhere around in that range. And I just looked at them and was like, the plug ain't coming to get me this time. Can you just go on and take me to the back? I need to go to sleep. So sitting in there, the first thing I went up for was probation, revocation, because I had, was already on probation. So I went to that court first, and they said, well, Miss C, we're pulling 29 months. And I said, oh, no, you ain't giving me no months. I told them right then, I said, I'll, I'll do a 10-do-5 for you. 
you can, I'll take all the, because it was me and another guy that went to jail, and I told him, I'll take all these charges. I'll take them all. I won't go to court. I won't go to trial. I'll plead guilty to every single one of them. You give me a 10, do five, I'll go do the five, because I knew in the back of my mind, okay, it's a drug charge. It's not a violent charge, so, I mean, right. That was my, that was my mindset was I'm going to be gone two, three years at the max, and while I'm in prison, at that time in my lifetime, I was doing whatever. I was doing a man, I was doing a female, whatever. So I was like, okay, I'll go to prison, find me a girl, and I'll be set. I'll be in there, geeked up out of my mind, selling drugs in there, and get home and continue to do the same thing. So I told him no. So my public defender then was like, we're just going to push your court date, and we're going to go ahead and send you, because in Jackson County, you go every two weeks for felony. So when that court date came around, I had sat in there long enough. I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy thinking. So then I had hit the probation office, and I was like, can we see if we can get these charges ran in concurrent? I'm an addict. I'm going to be an addict. This is what it is. If you send me to prison, I'm going to do drugs there. When I get out, I'm going to continue to do drugs. That's just what it was. I'm being real with you. I was like, can I at least have the option to go to rehab and a lot of people run around here that are on drugs still and say oh well it's rehabilitation before incarceration and that's not the truth it's just a slogan but can the judge honor it yes he can if he believes in you so in the luck of the lord i got that favor i got for the 11 felonies it was a year of a mandated rehab it was six months of aftercare and 10 years of felony probation afterwards and he told me when I walked in front of the judge that day, he said, little girl, if I ever see you come back in my courtroom, I promise you I will give you 10 to life and you will never see the daylight again. And I said, okay. So that still didn't mean that my other probation I was on had to go by that. So I got sentenced for that. The only thing I was like, okay, well, maybe, just maybe they'll run it in concurrent. When I went back in front of probation revocation, they run it in concurrent. I ended up in sitting in Jackson County for a while. I say a while, but it was really only like 60 days. It felt like a long time for me. Of course, there's a thousand and one rehabs around here, and new beginnings happen to follow the only application that Jackson County would give me. And so I was like, okay, well, why not? They're like, we want you to really read the rules. And I'm like, okay, bring me the application already. They brought me the application, and the application was literally this thick, very thick. It was like a book. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm filling this out, and I'm going down, and I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not about to do any of this. 350 rules I have to sign? You're out of your mind. I signed it anyways, and I turned it in. By that Tuesday, I had a phone interview. By that Friday, no, by that Thursday, Jackson County was transporting me out to rehab. But still, even though I had that opportunity, my mindset was, okay, I don't know where this place is, but if I can figure out how we got there, then I'm just going to leave after they take these shackles off me. I'm just going to run. Wow. So I get there, and I'm like halfway there, and I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea what way this woman took me, but I literally looked at her, and I was like, can you just turn the car around? I want to go back to jail. I don't know where I'm at. She was like, no, we don't drove an hour. You're taking you and dropping you off, and this is where you're staying. I get there, and whenever I got there, everyone was so nice. And I had went ahead and told them, I was like, I want to leave. I don't want to do this. It was a faith-based program. Went to church 14 times a week. There was 
it's a very strict program. So they was like, just try it for 30 days. If you don't like it, we'll help you get into another one. So I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there for 30 days, and, you know, it's a non-denominational, but kind of like Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And I was raised Baptist and Methodist. Running around a church and casting out demons wasn't something I was... So I was like, okay, this is crazy. These folks are crazy. What is going on around me? But the more I sat there, I guess the Lord had started working on my heart already. And I wasn't like praying to him then. I wasn't crying out to him. I still had that reservation in the back of my mind that, okay, my whole crowd, they're still out there bumping and grinding. All I got to do is just make it somewhere where I can get a phone. Your crowd on the street and what they right. were doing. Right. And so... 60, 90 days rolled around, and by the 90-day mark, I was like, okay, I can do this. This isn't that bad. Like, at that time, that's whenever the Lord had started working on my heart. That's whenever I was able to praise the Lord. That's whenever I was able to just really look and dig into what was really the cause because everyone says that there's a root from the addiction, but my beliefs is in which there's different, there's multiple pathways to recovery. Whatever one you choose and whatever one helps you get sober, that's the pathway you need to take. But I believe in faith. I didn't believe in the book. I didn't believe in NA, like that wasn't my choice, but other people do. And I encourage them whatever way it takes to get sober, choose that pathway. I don't care if it's a doorknob, if you worship a doorknob, if that's what takes for you to get sober. Three months in, I'm like, okay, this is, this, is, this is home now. I'm good. All right. But still, there was that reservation in the back of my mind. By the time I went to rehab, I was strung out on ecstasy and heroin and meth and cocaine and anything that I could get my hands on. When I booked into rehab, I was probably 98 pounds soaking wet, you know. So in the back of my mind, I'm still going through this fog thinking, and I'm like, okay, I'm about to do this time. I'm about to do these little, this little year, and I'm going to get out and go do the same thing, really. So then I started working steps because you do have to work steps in there. And it wasn't until I got to my fourth step, and that took a little of, Oh my gosh, Sadie, this is who you thought you were for a long time, but this is reality of what you really are. This is the truth. This is what you did. And so that took a lot of the light off of me. And then still, even to nine months, even in my program, they're like, you can't have sex. You're going to get set back. Well, what was Sadie doing? Sadie was doing what she wasn't supposed to be doing. What was Sadie doing when she was still in rehab? When she went home on the weekend, she was still going to the dope house. Wasn't getting high, but I was still there. It took up until about my ninth month, and on my ninth month, I was working on my step nine. And I had already been, I couldn't go home for two months because I got caught seeing or talking to this dude named Ashley. And I started writing these amends later. And when I started writing these amends letter, it took me a long time to write them because for a long time, I didn't think I owed anyone an apology. And, but when I finally came down to the fact of, okay, let's get real, Sadie. Who did you hurt? So I started making a list of these people that I needed to write amends to. And in the time of me being in rehab, me and my grandma, my grandma was like my mom. In the time of me being in rehab, my grandma had been diagnosed with uh, cancer. They didn't give her nothing but a year to live. 
Well, praise God, she lasted exactly three years and enough for me to come home and spend time with her. But I had started with these amends, and when I started with these amends, that's whenever I broke down and I knew from that time when I had to write down, I'm sorry, Mom, that I stole all your stuff and went and pawned it to get this dude out of jail that wasn't no good for me. I'm sorry, Dad, that I brought dope in the house and left dope on the floor for my nephew to get. I'm sorry, brother, that you had to beat me up and throw me in the bathtub one time. Like, just some brutal things that I did to my family. That's whenever I knew there's no going back, man. There's no going back. At the end of the day, no matter the situation, no matter how life gets, that's when I knew enough was enough. When you have to come to that reality of hurting people, whoa, because that'll hurt your heart, you know? After that, I was like, okay, I'm cool now. I'm just chilling. And I ended up going on staff. I graduated, and I went on staff for three months. And then I came home, and I had to do a six-month aftercare with Elberton County probation. And I did that, and, you know, I stayed sober and things. And in the advantage of me coming home i got to spend time with my grandma before she went to be with the lord and i drive a 2022 i'm currently pregnant i got a nice job i get paid it's probably not the nicest job mm-hmm. but i get paid pretty good to work at mcdonald's so you got a good baby dad huh you got a good baby dad no <laughs> she says yeah but i say no why you say no I say no because I feel like I don't want to sometimes, Dad. I don't want you to feel like you can only be in our child's life whenever it's convenient to you because I don't want to be with you. Yeah, I slept with you, but at the same time, like, I was just trying to get over somebody else, and this is the cost. I'm not going to say consequences, mm-hmm. but this is what happened in the in the process of trying to do that. Someone gave me this advice and told me to go sleep with people. <laughs> Go sleep with someone to get over someone, and I might have took her advice too literal. <laughs> I, I, I heard another saying, but the reason I asked that because in the beginning, that's how you got started from a mm-hmm. guy that wasn't any good. Now you're with mm-hmm. another guy, but she said the guy's some good, but you said the guy's not. Well, okay, since I've gotten sober, I just got this tight bad boy still. And just to be real, let's get down to the real problem. The real problem is not the drugs. I had to find that out in rehab. Real problem is not the drugs. The drugs was a bonus to it. It helped me get what I want in life. Not all in life, but the real problem is a man addiction, and that's what I have. It's a man, man addic- addiction. M-A-N, man addiction. Man. Well, maybe boy, but... That's That was the revelation I got in rehab. Yeah, drugs, yeah, they make you feel good. Yeah, you can have some awesome sex on drugs. Yeah, you can make a lot of money off of drugs. Yeah, you can do all these things on drugs that make you feel like a superhero. But what's the real root of it? What's the real root? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and what's the real root of it? So your real root is man. Yeah. So my real addiction is men, and I still operate in that a little bit. But it's a work in progress. I would have to say that it's just now it's more of who can be the predator. I was just talking to my sponsee about that earlier today. I have a thing because something I left out in my past was I went through a very abusive relationship. It was very abusive. Like nights out in the middle of a field on my knees begging for my life. Please do not snap my my neck right now. Please, I'm begging you. Living in a tent. Uh, was this after the age of 14? Mm-hmm. This is when I was 
18, 19. Okay. I got beat pretty bad. I was in, my family told me not to go to Tennessee, but I went to Tennessee with them anyways. And I got up there and it, the abuse originally started when I got in the car. He started biting me on the way to Tennessee and choking me. And was like, if you get out of this car, I'm going to kill you. And at this point, I didn't have any strength. Like, a man's going to overpower a woman when it comes to that situation. I mean, I don't care how strong a woman is. A man's, if their adrenaline is pumping, the man's going to have more power. That's just what it is. So we got to Tennessee, and he accused me of being with, I'm just going to keep it real, he accused me of being with a black man. And I hadn't, I had not been with anyone, except for in the next room, shooting some dope. That was where I was at, you know. And I came back with, I was in room 118, literally walked around to 117, and I got the living hell beat out of me. By the grace of God, that's now when I got sober, I knew the Lord was with me because for a long time I'd be like, I don't know what that was on my right side because he walked out the door, and when he did, I was looking in the mirror, and when I was looking in the mirror, I had nothing but blood gushing gushing from my eyes, from my nose, from my mouth. And something on this side was like, if you don't turn around and kick that door shut and lock it right now you're gonna and so I did exactly that and I I believe that that's what saved my life that day and wow well that was an amazing ending to part one of bounce back Mercedes just expressed how her drug addiction turned into domestic violence stay tuned for part two as Mercedes and Tony share more of their journey through life. From the mind, to the lips, to the heavens. Until next time, peace from when I hit it, bounce back. You ain't getting checks. Last night took an L, but tonight I bounce back. Boy, I've been broke as hell, catch the check and bounce back. D-Town LAX, every week I bounce back. If you a real one, then you know how to bounce back. Don't know nobody, oh nobody, always on the fucking job. I got no hobby.